Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily, but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. We're going to focus mostly on Olympic play in this episode, analyzing how Slovenia beat Spain despite Luka Doncic taking only seven shots and scoring only 12 points as well as a look at the elements that Team USA has overcome and must continue to do so in order to win a fourth consecutive gold medal. So Team USA qualified for the quarterfinals by beating the Czech Republic 119-84, to earning a chance to face France once again, the team that beat them in their Olympic opener of group play, despite Team USA leading by seven with about two and a half minutes left, and thanks to a series of errors that I do not expect to see Team USA commit once again. In any case, the Czech game was more competitive than the score would make it appear. The Czechs actually leading after the first quarter by seven, and Team USA needing a big second quarter from Kevin Durant to lead at halftime by four. The lopsided final score illustrated what separates the teams gunning for the gold and those that aren't or can't, and that is depth. It's also what works against Team USA. Players who play overseas, even the stars, are not nearly as ball dominant as stars in the NBA. They're used to sharing the ball, sharing shots, sharing playmaking duties. That's not how the NBA works. So when the NBA puts a team together, uh, Team USA puts together 
a team of NBA stars. They're putting together a group of ball-dominant, shot-dominant, shot-dominant players from several different teams. And then we're, we're asking, suddenly asking them to be efficient in a way that they are never asked to be. And we're asking them to do it by playing different rules, playing by different rules, a different sized court, and even a different sized ball, which I'm going to get to. When Team USA's depth works, as in multiple guys getting hot, and everyone playing the pressure defense that requires a rotation of fresh legs, there's no one who can compete with Team USA. We've just got too many shot makers, too many long, agile defenders. But it's only fair to point out that it's a vastly different way to go about winning than NBA stars are accustomed to, and it takes some adjustment. It would appear that that adjustment is being made. Whether they can stick with it, it remains to be seen. But so far, so good. Or so decent. Now, there's one star in particular that is struggling to make the adjustment. However you want to frame it, the Czech Republic got off to a hot start, or Team USA rebounded in the final minutes of the first quarter and then the second. Devin Booker was the reason. I'm baffled at why Coach Greg Popovich is starting him, unless he figures it's the only way to get him minutes and not worry if you're getting good Devin or bad Devin that particular game. Against the Czechs, Pop got bad Devin. Couldn't make a shot, got beat on D, drove into the paint without really knowing what he wanted to do. Booker started the second half as well, but the refs did Team USA a favor, gave him his third foul 38 seconds into the third quarter, and that sent him to the bench. Team USA pulled away while he was out. And then he came back and he joined the party. Booker, of course, gave the refs the stink eye as he went off the court and disputed the early fouls as well. Which brought to mind something I've talked about before, about how an NBA coach who has coached internationally told me that international refs take a certain pleasure in officiating NBA players tougher, making a point of treating them like any other player, or maybe just a little worse than every other player. This, I believe, is why because of how NBA players treat them, which is exactly how they treat NBA refs, as if they don't know what they're doing. And when it comes to NBA players playing by international rules, uh, you know who doesn't know uh, what they're doing. NBA players are the ones that are picking it up. Also, international refs are not used to being treated that way. Notice the demeanor of international players when they talk to referees, at least the ones who haven't spent an extended part of their careers in the NBA. It's respectful, questioning, but not confrontational. NBA players are not like that at all with NBA refs. If it's not always combative, it is condescending. Now, said, perhaps as much as anything, Team USA's biggest strength is is its depth. And that creates a wrinkle for guys like Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard 
and the rest of the volume shooters to overcome. With the game already eight minutes shorter than an NBA game, and the pace generally slower because most foreign teams are big man dominant, there are nowhere near the same number of shots available, which means less time to find a rhythm. Yet another wrinkle is the distance of the three-point line. It's much closer, which makes everyone assume that it's an easier shot. It is, but with the analytics-heavy NBA, especially over the last five, ten years, discouraging the long two, NBA players are not used to taking a shot from what is the international three-point distance. And it's just human nature that when you're coming down on the break, you're coming down and you're pulling up at the line. The NBA players have had to break from that. I also believe that's why you don't see as many plays being run for corner threes as you do in the NBA. Because with the court smaller, it's harder to adjust and take that shot at the distance NBA players are used to taking. The court is not, the international court is not as wide, and the three point line, obviously, is not as deep. If they're shooting from the arc, from the top, they can simply pull up or square up a little farther off the international arc to shoot the three point shot that they're used to shooting. In the corners, They'd have to step out of bounds or run the risk of stepping out of bounds if they're not towing the line. What I've never heard talked about much is that the international ball is more than a full inch bigger in circumference than the NBA ball. Now, if you've ever shot both a women's and a men's ball at any level, you know you can feel the difference between them, which is exactly an inch in circumference. The international ball is actually 1.2 inches bigger than the NBA ball. Now, I find the smaller ball much easier to shoot. Uh, greater circumference also means greater weight. Now, that, that may not be the case because of the material that they use on the international ball. Because I've heard some players say the ball feels lighter which would really be kind of weird, is to have a ball that feels bigger in grip and yet lighter. And I believe that the grip in part, players talk about it not having the same grip. I think some of that is because of the size of the ball. Obviously, smaller ball, easier to palm, easier to grip, etc. All of which may explain why so many foreign players are inevitably really good shooters when they come to the NBA sometimes even better than when they're competing overseas because they've been playing their whole professional lives with a bigger ball. Now, I don't know if teams or training programs still do it, but I've played in a couple of places that had a vastly oversized ball to practice shooting and dribbling with. Obviously, shot had to be more pure in order for the rotation to be straight and for it to go in the basket. And then dribbling was, again, because it was larger than your hands were used to, required a little more concentration, increased the strength of your hands, a bunch of different things. I don't know how well it worked uh, or how useful, but 20 minutes with one of those oversized ball and a regular men's ball felt like a volleyball in my hands. 
So that is, and obviously, it, it, NBA players are pros. Generally, all of them are blessed with bigger than average hands. And so the adjustment can be made, but, but it is clearly an adjustment. And, and, and the size of the ball uh, is not talked about much, but I believe it's a, it's a considerable factor in, in what we're seeing. So, Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Getting back to Slovenia and Spain. How did Slovenia beat Spain with Luka Doncic only taking seven total shots, drawing 3,000 in the first quarter, and then playing the most passive D permissible to avoid picking up a fourth. And service reminder, players are only allowed five fouls in international play, not six like in the NBA. Well, let's start with the composition of the two teams. Spain has two 36-year-olds, Marc Gasol and Rudy Fernandez, in the starting lineup. And they have five guys 33 years or older on their roster. One of the under 33 guys is Ricky Rubio, who, for anybody who's seen him play in the NBA, is a very old 30 years old. Compare that to the Slovenian team, which has no one over 32 and only three players 30 or older. With Doncic on the floor, the Slovenians play more deliberate, although Doncic, to his credit, is very good about passing ahead anytime there's the opportunity. And against Spain, there was plenty of opportunity. Those young legs were simply beating Spain down the court, and Luca was finding them with three-quarter passes. When they get into the half court, though, Luca is generally drawing a hard double team and then trying to make a play out of it. It causes them to play more deliberately. When he wasn't in, the Slovenians actually cut Spain's double-digit lead in half. They didn't fast break so much, but they utilized their younger legs to move the ball in the half court at blazing speed and then attack the rim and the offensive glass. All of that resulted in an advantage for the game in free throws, 21 to 13, and 15 to 10 in offensive rebounds. Now, Doncic was still overall good, collecting 12 points, 14 rebounds, and 9 assists, but he was far from great. Aside from the defense, he was responsible for five of Slovenia's six missed free throws, and he committed five turnovers. Another service reminder here. The NBA rarely double or triple teams. I hear fans and some broadcasters say it in passing all the time when Steph Curry or LeBron or some other star doesn't play well. I'm not saying there aren't times those players are surrounded by two or three players, but that's exactly the strategy, is to make them play in a crowd. A double team 
is when you send a second defender and the two defenders play that one player so closely, they have no chance of guarding anyone else. That's what Spain was doing to Doncic. And that just doesn't happen all that often in the NBA. It happens, but not as often as I hear people refer it. And certainly not all game long. The other players on any NBA team are just too good to be left that wide open. The strategy in the NBA is to have one defender play up on the star, maybe more up on him than you normally would, and then zone up behind him, muddying the picture. The ancillary players are playing with the star, are open to get the ball, and possibly take a quick shot, but not much more than that. The key for that kind of offense is to get good enough spacing to create cracks in in the zone or time to do more than take a quick shot. Three more observations watching these Olympic Games. One, whoever is running the on-screen scoreboard is lightning fast compared to every NBA game scoreboard operator. I'm used to seeing the shot go in and then glancing at the scoreboard to check it to see the points added to the score. In these Olympic Games, the points are up before my eyes can shift from the game to the score. It's just weird. I keep, I keep sitting watching the score, waiting for it to change, and then I realize, oh, it already changed. I don't know. Throws me off a little bit. Second observation. NBC must have spent all their money on luring Maria Taylor away from ESPN. Because as far as their basketball coverage is concerned, they are using some cut-rate talent. I couldn't find the name of the broadcaster who handled the Spain-Slovenia game. NBC apparently couldn't afford a color commentator or sideline reporter to join him. But, well, let's just be diplomatic and say, as Joe Namath might, he was struggling. On one breakaway... Ricky Rubio fed Victor Clave for a dunk. Only the broadcaster said that Rubio fed Marc Gasol, who is at least four inches and 40 pounds bigger than Clave. The broadcaster then waxed poetic about the chemistry between Gasol and Rubio, even as they showed a replay of the basket where Clave's number 10 was clearly visible. No correction made. But here's where it became downright perverse. Minutes later, when they showed the play again, he still identified the recipient as Mark Gasol. It made me wonder if he was working from a script that someone gave him. There were a series of other mistakes that were equally mind-boggling. Doncic's first foul was on Mark Gasol, notable because he bloodied Gasol's lip. Then his next two were offensive fouls, which was part of Spain's strategy, which was to drive Doncic into a second defender parked just above the restricted circle. But the broadcaster couldn't remember that first foul, as notable as it was, because he had to talk about Mark going off because his blood, the, his lip wouldn't stop bleeding. They had to stop play in order for him to get that taken care of. And, the, and yet, the broadcaster says, I believe all three fouls were offensive. It only got worse from there. And I guess what bothered me is that it was such a good game and slow, so closely contested at the end to have someone simply kicking it every which way 
was difficult, difficult because it distracted from the actual game. Uh, in the final minute, less than a minute left, the ball went off of Marcus Gasol's foot and out of bounds underneath Spain's basket with Slovenia holding a one-point lead. The referees initially called it Spain's ball, thinking it had gone off of Slovenia big man Mike Toby. But when the refs went to the replay, the broadcaster opined that they were checking to see if the ball hit the rim because he just couldn't understand how it could be anything other than off Mike Toby. Even though the replay showed it clearly went off Gasol. And checking the rim really made no sense. But then he also had something else that made no sense about 10 seconds earlier when Slovenia committed an inadvertent foul. And he said that Slovenia was forced to foul, leading by one and 65 seconds left to play. Make it make sense. It just didn't. And there was never any correction or explanation. Look, we all kick it now and then. We all sometimes get it wrong. We misspeak, whatever. But you have to clean it up. You just have to clean it up no matter how many times you have to clean it up. Never cleaned it up. Never not once cleaned it up. And as he was waiting for them to come back and give the ball to Slovenia rather than Spain, they were showing the replay over and over, frame by frame. And it was as if the producers were trying to send the message to the broadcaster. And normally the producer can get in the broadcaster's ear and tell him, watch the replay, or I think you got that wrong. You got to correct it. I don't know if there was no producer in his ear. I don't know if NBA, NBC wasn't springing for those either, but they just kept showing it, like frame by frame, could not have done it more uh, apparently, and showed the ball clearly going off Gasol's shoe. But our man was not paying attention and continued to insist it was off Toby, and then said that it was a gift or that Slovenia got a break when the referees handed them the ball to inbound it. Speaking of perverse, brings us to item number three. The degree to which the NBA has become a fool the referee flop fest has never been more apparent than in comparing NBA games to these Olympic games. In Team USA's win over the Czech Republic, Zach Levine at one point tried to draw the typical jump into the defender foul at the three-point line, and the referees had none of it. And you know how much more of that Zach or any of the other U.S. players attempted? Nada. Proof that if the NBA wants to stop the ridiculousness, there's a pretty simple cure. Stop rewarding it, even with a non-shooting foul, which has been or become the compromise. That compromise still stops play, and it's still a reward for what I consider a non-basketball play. Aside from it being embarrassing to see superstars go hunting for whistles, that's what over-the-hill, can't-move-anymore vets are supposed to do to stay relevant. Not players in their prime. I'm getting heated just thinking about it. And you know who actually has done the most flopping that I've seen so far in these Olympics? Not the jump-into-the-defender-on-a-shot flopping, but in a variety of other ways. 
That would be Luka Doncic. I don't know if he was this way before he came to the NBA, but I can't think of anyone I've seen constantly work the referees as much as Doncic. I need to check in with some of my Euro contacts and find out if this is something he developed since coming to the NBA or if he's always been this way. Whatever the case, he's apparently decided to take it with him wherever he goes. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. I know I kind of jumped around a little bit. I hope that it was still informative and that uh, there was enough flow that I wasn't uh, as distracting as uh, as our broadcaster for Spain, Slovenia. Let me know if I was. <laughs> Let me know if that was the pot calling the kettle black, as they say. Uh, in Oh, don't forget. Don't forget. Rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You guys have been doing a steady job of that, and it is very much appreciated. I love hearing from you, and I love hearing what you have to think. Would love to hear if there's certain subjects that you'd like me to get into, particularly during the off-season here. Uh, so let me know. In the next podcast, I believe we're going to look into the Kyle Lowry carousel because it is continuing. Miami, New Orleans, Dallas, where will the roulette wheel stop? The latest indication is Miami. But as one GM texted me, I don't think anyone knows what Kyle is going to do. Well, I hope to prove him wrong in the next podcast. We'll see. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.